one single item has forever reigned supreme. It has the sleekest of silhouettes. Precision in every bend. Say it. You don't know me. You don't know me at all. You don't know me. You don't know me at all. If we weren't United Methodist, you could bet on whether or not I would spill all the communion elements and the water and the, the juice up here as I carry the table. I had some anxiety just then. My name's Andrea Smith. I'm the pastor here, and apparently I can balance that. So if my day job goes away, I'm going to take up waiting tables. Welcome to West, and we are so glad that you're here. We are finishing up a message series on relationships. We've talked about different kinds of personalities, and there's this thing like the Myers-Briggs. There's an easier version that tells you what type of personality you may have. If you are highly emotional and words matter, your color is blue. If you're fun and carefree and you don't really like to plan and schedule things, you are orange. If you are very meticulous and logical and sequential in the way that you think and you structure life and you're never late, you're always on time, your color is gold. And if you are philosophical, and you like to think about things and ponder things. And it takes you a while to come up with an end conclusion because you think there's always more knowledge and more wisdom to be gained about something. Your color is green. That color inventory is actually on our website. We invite you to take a few minutes. The first Sunday that we did the color inventory, we ended up having worship at Cavan Cook Funeral Home because there was a hostage standoff in the parking lot of Berea, so we could not get to the high school. And so that morning, we actually had people do the color inventory inventory in worship. As they were leaving, as you were leaving, many of you shared, it changed everything for you and how you saw your children or your friends or your mate. So I do, if you, if you weren't here two weeks ago, I invite you to go take that color inventory. It certainly uh, helped Scott Smith understand why I'm neurotic about some things, and it helped me understand why he gets so angry with me about things like being late and, you know, those kinds of things. Then, last week, we talked about dysfunctional relationships and, and that there are several different kinds of relationships we can find ourselves in that truthfully are just dysfunctional. And how can we handle those? How can we converse about those? And then today, our final thing that we're gonna talk about is friendships. It's a little more lighthearted than the previous two, but so, so important. And the closing illustration that I'm gonna share with you today, I think can can attest to each of us how important it is to have friends. Facebook revolutionized friendship or the way that we think about it. So I'm gonna challenge us to look at how do we define friendship this morning? What does scripture say to us about having friends? And then what do real genuine friendships look like? I wanna show you two pictures of my personal Facebook account. The first one, this is my profile page, and I don't expect you to be able to read this from way back there, but right there, it has how many friends I have. Now, don't make me insecure and tell me that you have more than me. You know, that's all right. I don't think I have the most, but 
when Facebook came out and people were telling me about it, they're like, Andrea, people will befriend you. They'll ask you to be their friend and, and I bet you'll have hundreds. And my personality color is blue, okay? So words are really important to me and I am very emotional. So uh, words provoke emotion from me. And when I define a relationship in my life, it it is really important and I stick to that definition. One of the things that I define very, very specifically and hold close to my heart are friendships. It's just part of my personality. And so when I heard that I would have hundreds, hundreds of friends, I gotta tell you, I was excited. I'm an extrovert, I like being around people. And so when hundreds of friends were a prospect, I was all over it. So I would watch my little number creep up and creep up and creep up. And guess what? I now have 977 friends. I would like to break a thousand. So if any of you are not my Facebook friend, I really invite you to go and ask me to be your friend on Facebook. It would make my Sunday evening so much happier. So Imagine 977 friends, and I will confess, uh, it probably was higher not too long ago, but I discovered something about Facebook friends, and I have deleted a few, and I'll explain that in just a second. So I have 977 friends. Now, if you'll go to the next picture, this was Lane's prom picture. I'm not just a proud mom of a graduate that's going to graduate in a few weeks, and I wanted to show you how beautiful she was at her prom, but she was. Um, I wanted to show you how many likes. So here's Missy Klein, my former, I wanna give a huge shout out to him because he watches us online. This is the Southern Baptist pastor that baptized me when I was seven years old. He did the, the celebration of life service for my mom when I was nine. And he is, watches West all the time. So Dr. McKinney, huge shout out to you. He liked the picture and then guess what? 274 people liked Lane's prom picture. Now, do you remember how many friends I had? <laughs> yep, that's what I thought too. <laughs> you know, at first I was like, wow, when I'd put pictures up and you know, they'd start getting all these likes, I'm like, sweet. And then I realized, wait a minute, I've got like, Almost a thousand friends. And this is this picture right here, the reason I chose it is it's the most likes I've ever gotten for anything. And I think it's because we tagged Scott and Lane in the picture, so their friends liked my picture. There's something wrong. I have 977 friends, but the most likes, the most likes of all that I could ever get on a picture is 274. Now that's a problem if your personality is mine. Dawn Lynch is our young student ministry catalyst and my right hand here at West now. She is on staff. And so she's been going to some trainings through the Methodist Church on how to multiply ministry and build ministry. And not too long ago, she came back from this training and she said, Andrea, all these pastors, they know you. They talk about you. They were telling us all, they were telling me all these things that, that Wes does and, and they really like you. And I said, well, tell me who these people are because like, I want to know. And so she starts naming them and I'm like, how do they know? 
And so I asked her, I said, well, how in the world would they know anything about me? I don't, I don't hang out with them. I don't talk to them. We're not texting friends. And she said, they watch you on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the word trolling? Uh, I learned that from Lane. I don't know how I'll stay culturally relevant when she goes to school, but she taught me that people troll your Facebook account. What they do is they watch. They don't like anything. They just watch, and they will, they'll find your account, and they'll scroll and just look and look at your pictures. It's called trolling. I don't like that. <laughs> Remember, I'm blue, and so to me, if you're my colleague, not church people or high school friends or whatever, but if you're my colleague and you're following me on Facebook, then my new conclusion is you should like some of my Facebook things. Now, if you're embarrassed in just a minute that I'm your pastor, I will go ahead and beg forgiveness and please come back next week. I'll be over my Facebook fetish with friends. But these colleagues that were watching us and me on Facebook, I started looking to see if they had ever liked any pictures. Now, I'm gonna let you know that is a total waste of time. An absolute revelation of how insecure I am on some things. Well, actually, all things. And so I started looking, especially for some of my colleagues that in preacher meetings, I just get the sense that I'm not, you know, one of their, the folks that they really want to be around. I'm a little radical. We do sing Garth Brooks in low places to make a point in worship. And that, that's a little non-Methodist for some. So they don't ever like my pictures on Facebook. So I decided that I would unfriend them. Very mature thing to do, I think. <laughs> and I was really feeling bad about my reaction to people friending or unfriending or not liking or all that kind of stuff on Facebook until I was studying for this sermon and I was listening to Scott, Pastor Scott at Church of the Resurrection. He was preaching on social media and friends. And he said, now keep in mind, Church of the Resurrection is the biggest Methodist church in uh, our nation and world. And he is the associate pastor of their downtown campus. He's preaching this sermon on social media. And he said, I have thousand friends on Facebook. He said, so when it was my birthday, birthdays were a big deal to him. He said, when it was my birthday, I was so excited. I just knew that people were going to have gifts and, you know, there was going to be a big party and cake and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you know what I realized at the end of the day, not one person called me on the phone. No one sang to me nor was there any kind of festivity other than with my wife and our kids. He said, and I felt lonely. I have, you know, over a thousand friends, right? He said, I would challenge us to look at how we define friends. Now, I use the whole Facebook thing and the likes and all that kind of stuff to, to be silly, but also make a point. I do think in our culture today, we stand at a, a pivotal crossroads for how we define our relationships. 
It's so different now than it was back in the 1950s and 60s when you'd go sit out on your front porch and if you were in the South, you would have a glass of iced tea and you would sit and you would just swing and you would watch the world go by. After Easter, our family went to the beach and it was a a senior trip gift for Lane, so we went to Mexico. And I mean, it was this beautiful beach. And I'll never forget, we'd all gone walking down the beach, Scott, Lane, me, and a friend of hers, and we came back up to our chairs and there was a huge family sitting in the chairs behind us. And when we walked up, every single one of them were on their cell phones. You're, you're in Mexico in this beautiful place and you're on your phone. It struck me as odd. What do our relationships look like? What defines our relationships? What defines our friendships? Is it the number of friends we have on Facebook? Because if that's how we define our friends, unless your Facebook world is different than mine, when push comes to shove, probably 977 people are not gonna, are not gonna show up at my door. What is a friend? Friendship love is very different than other kinds of love that exist in our culture. Culture, you know, is the the atmosphere and the surrounding that we live in. And so I want us to look at three different types of culture that exist in our world today. There is a, and this is not political, that this has nothing to do with political parties or anything. First, there is a liberal individual, individualistic culture, a liberal individualistic culture, and that culture, the norm is to value romance. The second type of culture that exists in our our world today is a conservative traditional culture. And again, remember, this has nothing to do with political parties or anything like this. This is sociology. Conservative traditional culture, that culture has a love of family. That's the instinctive love that goes in that type of culture. And then there's a third type of culture, a socialist Unitarian culture. And the love in that culture, the instinctive love that it goes to every time is for neighbor. So the first one is romance. The second one is family. And the third is neighbor. You want to help your neighbor. All for one, one for all. Now notice None of those have friendship love as a primary love in the culture. None of those have the love of a friend as the primary love. So what does that tell us? C.S. Lewis said that friendship is not an instinctive love that we have. And we're going to talk a little more about his view on friendship in a few minutes. But friendship is not that love, it just, it comes natural. We have to actually make that effort and choose our friends. Have you ever heard the saying, you know, you can't choose family, but you can choose friends? I won't ask you to clap or raise your hands or anything, but how many of you would rather spend big holidays with your friends than your family? 
None of you, actually. Maybe I have a dysfunctional family. Uh, I thought you might laugh at that, but you didn't, so you all love your families. There have been many times that Scott and I have joked, wouldn't it be nice just to have Thanksgiving with some of our friends because then you don't have all the family dynamics? Friendship is a love that we choose. We choose our friends. It's not instinctual. So this morning, I want us to look for just a few more minutes at how do we choose our friends and what are some characteristics that make solid friendships. Friendship is all throughout scripture. We have examples of best friends, David and Jonathan. Jonathan would lay down his life for his friend. Then we see that Jesus taught that as well and ultimately did that. Friendship is so important. So I want you to take a look at this verse in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. What does that mean? When you have a friend... They're there with you through thick and through thin. There is nothing that comes in between that friendship if it's a true friendship. And most scholars and theologians will say that having multitudes of friends is not realistic. Having 977 true friends, it isn't real because you see a true friend, a real friend loves at all times. Constancy is one of the characteristics of a friendship. Back in the, in the culture when scripture was written, the, the Hebrew scripture, family was pivotal. Family was the core of their neighborhoods and their villages. Family, they lived together, they worked together, they did everything together, they worshiped together. Family was first, friendships were second. So that's really important when you look at this verse, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for a time of adversity a brother is going to show up. Your kinfolk are going to show up when you need them for sure. Now, some people are blessed with amazing brothers and sisters and siblings and family, and they're there all the time. But the bottom line is, no matter what, the people you're related to, your family, they're going to show up absolutely when you need them. When Scott was in the hospital not too long ago, his family came late in the night once they found out that he had had surgery. They showed up. Up. They drove up at 9 or 10 o'clock at night just to see that he was okay. That's the kind of love that a family, a, a true, a good, solid family they have. They show up when you need them. But a friend, a friend is there at all times. And again, remember, you choose it. You choose to be a friend. And you choose to have friends. You can't make friendships happen. Have you ever had folks that just, you know, they want to be your friends, so all of a sudden there's like this forced relationship going on, and you can't quite figure out what's going, what's driving that and what's motivating it, and so it just doesn't feel right? In ministry, it's one of the privileges that we have 
to be friends with you. I know there's a fine line and a boundary between pastoral privilege and, and relationships with the congregation, and it's a boundary that they teach us, frankly, in seminary not to break, but when you do life together, when you spend time together, it's just natural that friendships are created. A friend of mine, I've told you stories about some of my clergy friends, uh, a friend of mine told me this funny story that there was one particular lady in one of her appointments that wanted to be her friend. Now, my friend and this lady, they had absolutely nothing in common with one another. But this lady would, would try to put herself on ministry teams or you know schedule counseling appointments with my friend. And my friend's like, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you know, just talk to her about it and see what's up. And so she finally did. She said, why Why do you have you know, all these appointments with me? You don't have any big crisis in your life. What's going on? And the lady admitted, she said, I wanna be your friend. And my friend said, well, I'm honored, but we can't just make a friendship happen. It, it actually requires some things to happen within it. So this morning, for just a second, I want you to think about who are your friends? If I were to ask you to list your friends in your mind, who comes to mind? And I bet it's not 977 people. So I'm going to pause for just a second, and I want you to call to name in your mind, who would you consider your friend? Take just a second and think about that. Now take a look at this quote by C.S. Lewis. Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought that was no one else but myself. That's how friendships are born. You realize that you have something in common with the other person. You find yourself in a situation and, and there are commonalities and likes and interests that you have with that person. And you're like, oh my gosh, what? You too? That's why the healthiest romantic relationships start off as friends. They don't have to because friendship can develop after that initial spark and thinking, wow, he or she is hot. But it's best when there's something in common. When you have something in common, relationships form. You know, right or wrong, whether it's right or wrong in my job as a pastor or not, you know, I would consider the 40 folks that served on the launch team for this church uh, my friends. We spent a year and a half together laboring and visioning and praying and being afraid and taking risk. And when you go through life that intimately together, you can't help but form strong relationships. Now, we do keep proper boundaries in place and that kind of stuff, but we did life together and we had something in common. We started a church together. And for me, sadly, because I don't have any hobbies, church is my life. And so it consumed me for that year and a half. What I found out after we looked back, do you know that all of the folks that were on the launch team 
had ultimately been involved in some kind of mission with me when I was at Williamson's Chapel as the missions pastor. We had either gone to Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina or Jamaica or Georgia for a youth mission trip or we had worked on uh, the great week of service or other mission projects, big mission projects together. The people that made up the launch team of West were people that were missionally involved with me for years. I'd been their pastor, the associate, for six years. We did life together. So use that as an example for when you find yourself in situations that are hobbies or things that you're interested in, that's where you can find your friends. That's one of the things that I think is so beautiful about a faith community, about a church. Hopefully when you're going to a dinner group and, and you eat a meal together, you'll find commonalities with one another. Or when you do a small group, or if you serve on our WOW, our worship on the water that's gonna start in two weeks, everybody that's on the WOW team, guess what? They have a commonality. They love the lake. They love being on the water. It's how you start being connected to one another. So take that C.S. Lewis quote, you know, what? You too, you like this too, and realize that that's where our friendships are formed. You can't force them. They have to be born out of a common love. The last point that I wanna make today is that there are four characteristics of solid friends. And I'm not gonna try to explain these individually because they really are interwoven together. But if you have friendships, I guarantee you that these Four qualities are bedrock principles of the relationships that you have with one another. You have constancy, candor, carefulness, and counsel. Constancy, candor, carefulness, and counsel. Constancy means that you are there for them no matter what, through thick and thin. You are always gonna be there and that's tied in with being careful. You make sure that they have what they need and you don't choose this friendship for what they can do for you. Have you ever had friends that have chosen you for that very reason? You know, they thought they could get something out of you. You have a boat, they want to borrow your boat. You have a beach house, you know, you want to borrow that. They want to borrow that. And so that's, it's a friendship of convenience. That's not, that's not a true friendship. Carefulness means that you really do care about the person and you're looking out for them in good and bad and you have found that commonality to build that relationship together. It's not just what can they do for me. But that is a characteristic of friendships. They do for you, you do for them. It is a mutuality that exists. When I did a wedding about a month ago, I had them talk about tug of war. Both of their personality styles were competitive. And so in my homily, I said, you know, think about playing tug of war with each other. A marriage, and I would say that this is true about friendship too. Each of you are on different sides of the rope to start with, but then when your relationship is formed, you come to the same side of the rope and life is on the other side. 
So picture you and your friends on one side of the rope and life on the other. Life like jobs that stink and you don't want them anymore. Or finances that have tanked and you don't have enough money to pay your bills. Or, or health issues and you're not as healthy as you wanted to be. Or you're facing the loss of a family member or a loved one. That is life and it's on the other side of the rope. But you and your friends are on this side. And sometimes... We get tired, right? And sometimes life is pulling so hard that we can barely hold on to the rope. And that's when our friends, they anchor the rope and they start pulling harder. And then there are gonna be times in our lives when our friends are tired of pulling. And so we have to pull a little harder. So communication is pivotal but those are characteristics of a true friendship. There's another proverb about friends. Well-meant are the wounds of a friend. Well-meant are the wounds a friend inflicts, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Well-meant are the wounds a friend inflicts. What does that mean? How can a friend inflict wounds? Well, it goes to that candor word. We want our relationships to be all warm and fuzzy and and it's all good and there's no conflict and when there's conflict, we sweep it under the rug and we just want it to be all tulips and daisies in a beautiful field, but that is not life. We have personalities, we have opinions, we have emotions, we have thoughts and when all of those things of us interact with all of those things of the other people in our life, conflict happens So that's why for a true friendship to exist, candor must be there as well. The wounds a friend inflicts are okay because if they're a true friend, they do it in love. Not to lash out insults, you know, you look so stupid today, I can't believe you wore that shirt or your hair looks hideous. You know, those are not not positive statements. But a positive statement would be something like, you know, I'm worried about your health. Are you exercising and taking care of yourself? Now that might be hurtful, but those are words of candor. Constancy, candor, carefulness, and counsel. Yesterday, we celebrated the life of And I confess, she was a dear friend of mine. She, when I moved to Williamson's Chapel 13 years ago, that first Sunday, fell in love with Andrew and Lane. And because we had a lot of night meetings there and worship services, I was gone from my kids for a long time there at first. And she kept them at her house. Scott and I both had to work a lot. She kept them. She basically became like a a godmother or an aunt to them. And so she got sick a while back and we had sort of grown apart, you know, hadn't kept up as much because the kids were older and she was a flight attendant flying a whole lot and we lost touch with one another. But when she found out that she was sick, we reconnected. And I'll never forget her words to me. She said, Andrea, I don't know what I would do without my friends. And I personally was relieved because I had been a really shoddy friend up till then. When she said, I don't know what I would have done without my friends. Over the next 10 months, I got to see what she meant. 
especially in the last two to three weeks of her life. Her family lived in Ohio. Her son is young and did not have the capacity to care for her going through her chemo treatments like she needed. And do you know what? She had the most amazing group of friends that carried her through her cancer journey every step of the way. It was this core group of women that would take her to her chemo appointments and sit there with her as she received the chemo. And then when she was so sick, they would stay with her and make sure that she was cared for and she had what she needed. They took her to her doctor's appointments. And then in her final week of life, as she was in hospice, they never left her side. They were not kin to her blood kin at all. They were there with her as their friends. It reminded me that that's the kind of friend that I need to be for some people And those are the kind of friends that I want in my life. Constancy, candor, carefulness, and counsel. How can you and I be better friends? Let us pray. Gracious God, you have shown us what true friendships look like in your son. Because he showed us that it was not about us, that it was about something so much bigger. It was about love. You are love, God, and you teach us to love one another and that that's what real friendship is about. So this morning as we partake of communion, we remember that Jesus said to his disciples, no greater love hath man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends and I call you friends. So God, may this bread and this juice be for us, your body and your blood. Make it be for us a reminder and a tangible movement in our souls that we have the ultimate friend and now we can go and be the ultimate friend. And we ask these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.